Hey everyone, you're listening to the Queens of Hustle podcast. In this podcast, me and my guests will be exploring fitness, culture, business, media, and everything in between. My name is Kiana and I am your host. I'm a professional pole dancer, fitness trainer, and social media manager with a background in journalism and a degree in communications. I am extremely passionate about personal development and talking to other queens about their dreams, hustle, mindset, motivation, and success, as well as valuable lessons they have learned throughout their experiences. Here is a space where we can have healthy and expansive conversations that can help you in the next step of your journey. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Queens of Hustle podcast. My name is Kiana Walker, and welcome back. Uh, I hope you're doing well. It is currently Friday morning. I am recording this, and I hope to also be releasing it today as well because I have done all of the editing last night. So now it's just a matter of just recording the intro, and bam, we're good to go. But before we get started, please do me a quick favor and pause. Let's hit that subscribe button just so that you don't miss another episode. And if you don't mind leaving me a five-star review, that would truly help me out. As you know, this is a passion project that I do in my free time. It's all me behind it. I don't have a an agency or any advertising that helps promote it. So ratings really do make a difference and can also help me reach those who are in need of this, this podcast. So if you just don't mind doing that, that would mean so much to me. So yeah, I'm really, really, really excited about this episode because I have been just mesmerized by Christy Sellers for years now, ever since I started my pole journey in Australia. And now it's amazing that we have, you know, collaborated with each other. And now she is, of course, a guest on the the podcast. So um, I just wanted to give you a little bit of a backstory as to when I heard about Christy Sellers and whatnot. So when I was um, in Australia, of course, I was teaching um, part time at a pole studio called train station dance and fitness shout out to amy and the team lots of love but um we were talking in the studio about how there is a pole dancer competing in australia's got talent so of course this was mind-blowing to me because i i still was quite new to the pole world and i didn't really understand that you could even really do that you know what i mean and it was kind of just unheard of so of course i went and checked out her her performance and it was just unbelievable she really brings you into another world where you almost forget that you're even watching a pole performance but yet she's still doing these amazing tricks her musicality is amazing and of course the use of projector is just like i say in the interview it's just unparalleled you haven't seen another pole dancer interact with a projector like Christy Sellers has. So anyways, during Australia's Got Talent, when it was airing, the whole Australian pole community was rallying behind Christy, but not only because she was bringing exposure to the pole community, but also because she really embodies a strong woman because she had just given birth six months prior to her first audition. Can you believe that? And getting yourself back together in six months after getting giving birth i just i can't even imagine and what i love about christy is that she also is very passionate about working on her mindset which is something that i do a lot as well um if i don't work on my mindset that is when my mind can go the bad way 
So um, it's something that I've realized I need to take care of my mental fitness just as much as I take care as my physical fitness. They need to be um, on that same level of priority. And it's so cool to know that Christy is the same. Um, so yeah, I, honestly, after this chat with Christy, I've, I honestly got a little bit of this, this boost or a big boost, I should say. So for those of you who don't know, I, um, I competed in pole theater on April 9th. Um, so just earlier last month and it was an amazing experience, but, um, one of the things that you don't expect as a competitor is post-comp blues, which is a real thing because when you have a huge event, that you're preparing for for months and pretty much like whenever you have a free moment you're thinking about that day and um of course for me the lead up was even more intense because of the fact that my family was flying all the way from canada to come and watch me so it was a very very big event that i was looking forward to and uh the fact that i was that i managed to take the pro classic title in front of them was just a, a monumental moment and definitely a highlight of, of my pole career. We had a really good week showing them around Scotland, um, but once they left, I did feel a dip in my motivation. And uh, honestly, it, it was interviewing Christy that, that brought my motivation back to where it needs to be. So thank you so much for that, Christy. And I hope this talk helps you as much as it helped me. So in this chat, we don't only talk about the fact that she is a world-renowned performer and choreographer that has literally toured the world, but we also talk about her entrepreneurial side. Not only is she the founder of Fizzy Pole Studios that has 17 locations across Australia in five different Australian states, she also is the founder of EnviroGrip, the Enviro company which specializes in sustainable pole wear. We stock them at Pole Junkie. Uh, she also is the founder of Polescription, which is a monthly box of pole motivation. Um, I was lucky enough to be asked to be the pole idol for last month, the month of April. Um, and finally, she also is a mother of three. So when you can, whenever you feel like you have a lot on your plate, just think of Christy Sellers. <laughs> think of Christy Sellers and remember that she's doing it. You can do it too. Without further ado, enjoy the interview. Welcome Christy Sellers to the Queens of Hustle podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest on the show. How's it going? Good. It's evening here in Australia, but I am very excited for this podcast and thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. So happy Friday. How was your day today? What did you get up to? Uh, yeah, so Fridays tend to be a little less crazy for me, but I still have, you know, I have three kids. So in the morning, first thing, it's like the school run hustle. So get all of that out of the way. And then this morning I got straight into like packing some orders for the EnviroCo online store. And right. then I went, I went for a walk. So I always go for a walk while I listen to my audio book. So it takes about an hour. And then I headed down to the studio to train. So I was there not too long today, maybe two and a half hours. Uh, then I came home for some lunch and then I, I did some, um, 
like work on my new show but not in the studio so I was at home working on it until about three o'clock where I went and did the school run pickup (laughs) nice nice I start off each episode with the same question what sets your soul on fire creativity love that love that (laughs) tell us about this new show that you're coming up with um yeah well it's it's a projection and pole dance performance and so at the moment I'm I'm in the creative zone trying to figure out how to do something new and innovative and tell a story that is is going to really touch people so I always have like um a thought or a a group of words that like keywords that I want the performance to be and then also keywords of how I want the audience to feel when Mm. I perform. So I'll always use those as like my touchstone points as I go through creating the show, like, and just bring myself back to asking the question of like, is it those words? Love that. That's so cool that you, that you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask you um, in more depth about like what your creative process is, because I've watched so many of your performances and I, and I can honestly say that you are hands down one of the best performers I've ever seen and now officially met. Um, so <laughs> yeah. Did you always want to be a, a dancer or a performer when you were growing up? Was that like always your childhood dream? Yeah, it was. Um, I didn't really, it's funny because I didn't really start when I was super young. Like a lot of people start when they're like three or four and they're in ballet. My grand total of that type of dance, I just did tap, tap dancing for like two weeks. And my mom, like she didn't buy me the tap shoes. She bought me like the little plastic um, uh, vinyl, like slip on ballet slippers. They're like ballet slippers, but vinyl. And they were awful. And it just, I was like, I hate this. So I was just sliding around on the floor the whole time. And mom was like, ah, she's not going to stick to it. So I didn't really come back to it until later on, but it was always in me. Like it was always Mm. something, even when we would have school concerts, I remember like the grade one or grade two school concert so I must have only been like seven or eight they were like we're gonna do this everyone go and look for music and I like went and found music and I made up a routine and I did all these like it was always just there and then as I went through school I any opportunity that I could to like do something physical with music so I did like the high school aerobics I did dance I did I created the cheerleading team for my high school which was like in Australia back then that they weren't cheerleaders so it was very weird but anything that was like to music and creating movement I just loved it and then as I got to about I must have been about 12 13 14 I really sort of started to know that it's what I wanted to do and so then from there I really pursued it and by the time I was 16 instead of doing um year 11 and 12 at school here I did a diploma in performing arts in Melbourne. Awesome so then you did your diploma in performing arts and, and I'm assuming you only started pole after that? Yeah I didn't start pole until uh, so I did my diploma and then I went to Hollywood to dance for like a year or so you went to Hollywood 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't expect that. And, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's funny, you'll laugh because I mainly did like commercial and hip hop style. <laughs> that is sick. That is I was so very, cool. I was very cool. Yeah. Uh, 18 imagine. year old Christy thought she was pretty cool <laughs> I love that um there is because I love watching like hip-hop videos like it's something that I've always dreamed of doing but I just haven't mm -hmm. brought that to to like fruition but like if I could do like you know them the street heels type of dance you know what I'm talking yeah. about like not in like pleasers like those six inch yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. like so sick um and there's um that studio that that has like the backdrop unity diversity or something like that do you know no, what I'm that's talking millennium. about yeah it's millennium oh, millennium okay yeah, obviously yeah so know. that's where I danced when I was ah, over there but so I think cool. they moved yeah I danced at like the original place I think because uh, um yeah I I saw the building recently I was like oh they've moved okay. anyway so yeah so they're in a new place now but millennium and Debbie Reynolds were like the main two that I danced at and wow. that's where my love of and understanding of musicality really came from mm. learning from the the choreographers over there like back then that was 2005 I want to say like it was just so raw and everyone was there all day every day dancing and like you just learnt so much from these people or I did anyway like I just soaked it all up and I just went to learn amazing and how did you find that opportunity of going to Hollywood and living there for like what a year how long were you there for yeah so well originally I was just there for three months and then okay. I came so I did it in increments like I went three month blocks because okay. that I didn't like I wasn't working or anything so I just mm -hmm. I did it in three month blocks came home for a bit went again um yeah it wasn't I mean, I guess, yeah, it was an opportunity, but it was an opportunity I created for myself. Like I knew, mm. so when I was dancing here in Australia, there would be um, choreographers from there come over and like tour. So they would tour the main major cities and you would like go and pay for their classes. But when they came, I was basically like a groupie, like a choreographer groupie. Like I would mm -hmm. fly to Brisbane or Sydney, wherever they were, as well as Melbourne so that I could do all of their workshops. And I just, I was in love with it. And I knew that they taught on a regular basis in the States. And so I was 18 and I was like, how am I going to get there? And this is before there was like Google or it's so easy now. You can just like look up what you're going to do, where you're going to go, what the bus times are and all that. You couldn't, it wasn't like, like the internet was there, but it wasn't like how it is now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, I had to like call Millennium on the phone from Australia. It cost me a fortune to find out like their timetable. And then I went on these websites to find somewhere to lease a room. Um, and I had, I had to go and get a loan from the bank to have the money to go. And wow. so I just, I worked backwards and I was like, how much do I need? How will I survive for 12 weeks over there? You know, just, um, yeah, just paying to go and do all these classes and basically further my education, but follow my passion, really. Love that. And obviously it was so worth it in the end, because you, you still sound so passionate about it when you're talking about it. Yeah, it was it was life-changing that experience and I was like I was so young to do that on my own like hop on a plane and go and live in a foreign country and I mean you yeah you can do it but when you're 18 and you don't I mean it opened my eyes to the world very quickly <laughs> I can very imagine I can imagine mm. 
So for those who haven't seen your style of performance, what would you mm -hmm. say is your signature style and what sets you apart from the others? Um, I would say the combination of storytelling and musicality, because mm -hmm. I don't really have a set style. Like I really like to jump around between, I'm like, okay, today I want to do heels and sexy. And then tomorrow I want to do lyrical and in bare feet. And so I really love, and that's what drew me to pole. Cause I saw the potential right away of combining all these styles that I had studied into one apparatus that was like really cool and sexy anyway I was kind of awkward when I started pole but it was always in my mind to bring these styles onto the pole and in the beginning when I did those first performances I deliberately did polar opposite performances one after another so I did one that was like um, like in a straitjacket, like a, a mental institute sort of patient. And then the next weekend I did the Miss Pole Dance Toxic flight attendant one. So they wow. were like completely up. I think it was like two weeks apart or something really close together. And I deliberately do, did that because I thought people, I don't want them to put me in a box. So now I just do what I want to do because I think people expect not to expect anything, like not to expect mm -hmm. a certain style but they always yeah. know that they're sort of going to get a story and I'm going to present the show with the music as accurately as I can. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And um, you also use projectors so well. And I want to just know, like, when did you, like, when did you start using projectors in your pieces? And like, was there a, another performer that kind of inspired that? Or was there like the competition that inspired that? Because I know that Pole Theater uses projectors. So when did that start to really become oh, part of your, your, your yeah. stick? Back when I first had the idea to incorporate it with the pole, it was when I did pole art in 2013 and I, I rolled out huge pieces of paper that like covered the stage and I put paint um, on that paper. And then as I performed, I like spread it and um, made patterns. And I actually wrote the word like love backwards while I was doing floor work as wow. I performed. You can see it online, but the lighting um, really wasn't ideal, which was my own fault. Cause I think they did ask me and I just didn't know what to, I should have just had like plain nothing lighting so that you could see what I was doing with the paint. But that's kind of where I really liked the idea of competitions that allowed um, a lot of creativity, like mm -hmm. crazy ideas. And I think I was really pushing the limit with that one, but they did let me do it. And I had the idea to have just like a really small pull-up banner, which is only about 1.6 metres high by, um, I don't know, like 90 centimetres kind of thing, like not a very big um, size but I thought to have that on the stage in between the two poles and project onto that with like a stick figure or something really really simple that I would kind of interact with that would tell a story of like I don't even know like I just had that thought and so I bought all of the projection equipment I actually I think I still have footage of me playing around with the first um with the first things and it was just me at home it wasn't oh actually I do have some in the studio and I what I did was because I'm not an animator I would buy like shutter stock or like stock videos of yeah. birds landing or something and project them onto the back wall and then figure out how to kind of choreograph myself in around what the birds were doing or like 
I did actually get a stick figure that was dancing and then I like learnt the dance and did it alongside the stick figure and at the end I sort of gave it a nod and like I just played around with buying the stuff and incorporating me with it Mm -hmm. whereas obviously now I work with an amazing animator his name is Jan and he lives in Prague um and and I've you know I've been able to work with a couple of different animators over the years now because this is well oh gosh well that means I've been doing it nearly 10 years the projection stuff nine years because I I was watching just your um your video last night and I saw that it was from 2016 I was watching the abduction oh yeah so So that's 2016 yeah that was the first year that I performed it on stage so I was Ah. playing around with it for um two and a half years before that it was so new that I couldn't even it was hard to find people that did it because it was so new yeah so for those who are playing at home I just wanted to like just give you for those who maybe haven't seen these performances so what Christy does is she really interacts with the screen aka the projector um in the sense that like there can be like like a stick figure on the screen dancing and she's dancing alongside or there's like for example a bird and she blows into her hand and then a bird just starts um starts flying as if she like you know like it's very very how how can I say this it's like like you're literally in like a world of fantasy and and um mystery almost like Alice in Wonderland where of course you have actually done an Alice in Wonderland yeah. um, piece, which is so cool. And we'll, we'll get more into that um, later on. But um, yeah, I will be linking some of these performances in the show notes. So please do check them out because these performances are going to blow your mind. Honestly, Christy, like they're, they're just, they're unparalleled. So I wanted to actually um, dive into that now. So you um, auditioned for Australia's Got Talent in 2019. Not only mm-hmm. did you audition, you got in you competed and you won was this 2019 right am I right in saying this yeah okay perfect perfect so uh, I would love to talk about the expectations versus reality aspects of being on the show because I know that you know there's probably some some things that you that you maybe thought the show was going to be like and then when you were on it was there any like sort of um surprises or curveballs that you just didn't see coming or that you didn't expect Um, I was, I think I was very expecting it to be like reality TV and, and sort of heavily, um, skewed or manipulated or something like that. And it wasn't like that at all. Like it really wasn't. I was so happy about it because obviously I'm just there to, to, you know, honestly, the, these shows that I have in my mind and what I'm trying to create is very, it's not impossible, but it's very difficult to do in my studio on my own with the production level that I have. Like it's their, their level of production that these shows have is just enormous. The budget and the, the machines that they are using, the projectors that they're using, like I had never seen anything like it. Um, so yeah, to be able to bring something to life with that level of production is a dream. <laughs> uh, so that's, yeah, that's really why I do, I do create these performances for the show because um, I get to do that. So it was all the other stuff that I was a bit apprehensive about, like, oh, the interviews and all the behind the scenes stuff, but it really, 
they were very lovely. They were, uh, of course, there's times where it's going to be stressful because you're trying to create a lot of shows in a short amount of time. So sometimes with like production, it'd be like, oh my gosh, and this has got to be done now and da, 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 da. So like, and that's me expecting so much from myself as well. But honestly, it was truly one of the best experiences of my life. And not just because I won, like, that's great. That is amazing. I'm very, very grateful. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it was the creation and the process that that just made it something I'll never forget. Mm. So I was um, actually living in Australia at the time. So I was very much following your journey, mm -hmm. obviously in complete awe. Do you have some sort of ritual or mantra that you that you like have before going on stage and before doing big performances because of, for those who you know who perform you you would know how much of a nerve-wracking experience it is mm -hmm. so what do you do to really make yourself in that mind frame of I'm going to I'm going to get it I'm going to do it um and how do you stay calm and centered yeah so it is difficult because especially when you haven't performed for a while. So my audition for Australia's Got Talent was my first performance in like three years, I think, or the first time I'd performed in Australia for like five years because I had two babies in the, like my youngest was six months old on the time, the day I auditioned or that week or something. It was crazy. Wow, <laughs> and then I, his other, his brother, um, who's my second child, is only about a year older so I'd pretty much been pregnant for a long time mm -hmm. and so those performances and especially you know your listeners a lot of them maybe haven't performed with since the start of COVID and all that stuff that's gone on so yes what you're dealing with when you step onto stage and it's been a long time is different to when you're in the groove and you're kind of performing regularly as in maybe every three months or so. Okay. So if you're in that regular groove, your preparation and that sort of thing is going to be different. And a lot of it has to do with knowing yourself. So for me, it's not really about what I do specifically on the day because I need to replicate the day every day. So every training day, especially in the last two weeks, I replicate as much as possible exactly, and you can't ever get it exact, but exactly as much as I can of the actual day. So wow. what do I mean by that? I mean, yeah. the food, the food that I eat in the times that I eat it leading up to when I perform. So on the day of an actual performance, um, within 10 minutes of me going on stage, um, I will eat sugar, like lollies um, or something like that. And to be fair, I don't actually do that every training day because I'd be like <laughs> really out of shape. And I, I am very, very, very um, conscious of the fuel that I'm putting into my body, especially in probably the eight weeks leading up to a performance. I'm very conscious of like my fats, my um, carbs and protein and all of that. So so on the day, yeah, it's, it's lollies maybe 10 minutes before to get that sugar spike and um, find better balance on stage. I feel like if you're a bit, because you've got the adrenaline and the nerves and everything, if you get a bit hazy, you can get a bit wobbly. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a banana is within an hour of the performance. So usually maybe 30 minutes to an hour, I'll have a banana. And then the breakfast and 
it depends what time of day you're performing, if it's a night show or if it's an afternoon show, right? that sort of thing. So I always do the same warm up and I always make sure my body is at the same temperature as much as possible. And it is difficult with TV because they want to like film you talking about something and you're like, no, I want to be running on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> and like, but I, I actually do say to them, that's all good. We can do the talking bit, but then I need three minutes to myself to warm up again, because if my body's cold and I go out on stage, especially for TV, like the stages are just different. Um, there's, they're slipperier there. There's more cameras, more air, more lights. I don't know how mm. to explain it, but it's different to a pole competition right. where the pole probably already warm, um, all these different things. So I wow. always try to perform, um, on a cold pole. Mm. And on the day, if you get the chance or if I get the chance to do a tech run or a rehearsal, I'll always do it full out because my second run through is always the better one. Yeah. And so I know this because of my training. And I also know that day two is my better day. So I always have to train the day before a show. And I always have to, if I, as much as possible, make the show performance, the second performance of the day. Mm. and right before I go on I hold a plank position or do like mountain climbers to get my core activated again so it's I guess it, it yeah it's very specific and I just know my body I love that no that, that that's also so insightful for me because I realized that before pole feeder I also like I think I made some mistakes that I need to work on as well um one of them being was that I I didn't get to do a full run through the day of that's one of the things that you may not be able to control. So in that yeah. instance, I would be running the block and I would be doing burpees. I'd be trying to exert myself to the point of how you feel after a run through. Yeah. Because it's not about the exact muscles. It's about activating muscles. Yeah, for sure. So you know what I mean? For sure. And I was so towards the end of my routine, I was so, so tired, but like I find more tired than I was when I was doing rehearsals, I thought maybe it's because I was going so, so hard, but I went hard during rehearsals too. No, it's but, different. Yeah. That's, that's normal. So on stage, you have your adrenaline, like when it's the actual show, you yeah. always go harder. Yeah. So you will always be more tired towards the end. So the way I combat that is when mm. I do the rehearsals I, and I'm going full out, I yeah. finish the routine and then I start climbing the pole up and then slide down, up, slide down, up, slide down. Wow. Because if you, and I usually maybe only three times, but yeah. as we know, climbing the pole when you've finished a routine is hard work. So it's kind of extending your range so that when you're on stage, you have the power at the end of the show. Amazing. Well, thank you. That is such good advice. I really, really appreciate that. Um, but I now uh, wanted to just switch gears and talk about America's Got Talent. So you heard it here first. Uh, Chrissy Sellers has just auditioned for America's Got Talent earlier this month. Um, so, so exciting. However, I will say it's under wraps at the moment, so we can't say much. You got to watch the space, watch Chrissy's face as well. Um, is there anything you wanted to add uh, to that? <laughs> um, yeah, well, like you said, I... I need to keep it a surprise. So you'll have to wait until it airs. I haven't, I haven't put anything publicly yet. So <laughs> I don't know why I haven't because I'm allowed to. I just, I just haven't. I, I don't know. I, um, 
I was so focused on, on preparing that show. And every time I create a show, I'm trying to make it a step up than anything I've ever done before. So I have these ideas in my mind and, you know, when you have a creative thought, um, sometimes you ignore it. Mm -hmm. And if you ignore it, eventually it will leave you. There's Mm. a really good book called um, Big Magic by the same woman who wrote Eat, Pray, Love. Uh, What's her name? Elizabeth Gilbert. Okay, okay. And she talks about, yeah, I'm sure it's by her. It's probably been 10 years since I've read it. But I always remember that she said a creative idea coming to you is almost like a tiger running past you and you got to grab that tail and don't let go because if it leaves you, eventually, like it will keep coming back and tapping you on the shoulder maybe for a few weeks or a few months or a couple of years, but eventually when it does leave you, it's gone Mm. and you can't get it back. So you have to catch that tiger by the tail and go with it. So when I have creative ideas, I just, I sink my teeth into them and these shows do take time to create. So I always feel like if I'm working on something, then I've got something. I love that. And that's why I added that keychain that you put in the postscription box. I, I added that mm-hmm. to my little, my little uh, keychain collection right away. Trust your crazy ideas. Yes. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Because they are there for a reason. I mm-hmm. love that. So I wanted to now dive into your entrepreneurial side, because that is something that is also very inspiring to me, because you are a true businesswoman. So you're the founder of multiple businesses. But let's start with Fizzy Pole Studios, which is mm-hmm. a chain, um, or a fr- I should say a, a franchise of pole studios across Australia. So there are 17 locations in five mm-hmm. different Australian states, which is insane even just Mm -hmm. having being the founder of that is really really like like mind-blowing so can you just tell us a little bit about what it was like starting your first studio the first one and how it grew into such a massive and successful franchise yeah I did not I did not open a studio with the thought of franchising I probably didn't even know what franchising was when I started a studio to be honest um and it was very 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 basic like I was just renting a room from my old karate instructor on the weekends where I'd pull up all those connector mats set up eight x stages eight of them every Friday night teach classes Friday night Saturday and Sunday and then pack it all up Sunday night and drive the three hours back to where I lived so wow. I, yeah, that was commitment. Um, and I worked like just in a retail job through the week. And then as soon as I could, I'd get down to Warrnambool on the Fridays and do it over the weekend. So that's my hometown. That's where I was born mm-hmm. and grew up. And I was living in Melbourne at the time. And there were a couple of studios up there, but I don't know why I sort of just thought, oh my God, I should do this in Warrnambool. Like there's nothing there and people would love it. And it's so different. And like back then the advertising was one ad in the paper in the newspaper and I was like booked out and so eventually I was able to lease a building like full-time and then eventually like Ballarat where I am now was is only an hour from Melbourne so Mm. someone in Warrnambool was like you should do one in Ballarat as well and then I was like okay yeah (laughs) I did I just I just kind of 
do things. Like I don't think too much about it. I just, mm-hmm. if I have an idea, like if it doesn't work, what's the worst that's going to happen? It fails. So what? Let's move on. And so I, I had a couple of girls down there that I was teaching up to instruct there and I was teaching in Ballarat. And then within a couple of years, um, I had some students come to me and want to open a studio in their hometowns. And then that's kind of how it started. So pretty much all of the franchisees now came through Fizzypole, like, and it's insane how much it's grown. Like (laughs) the studios are just incredible now. Like when we build them, it's, we're bringing in the steel, we're building the walls, we're building the floors. They've all, um, I shouldn't say all, but like the newer ones that we're building now, we, we try to have like four or five rooms in them. Like they're huge facilities um, and they all have their own unique quirks and they're all really, really beautiful locations, but it's grown so much bigger than just me. Like the community, that, that family, the cult of Fizzypole, like the, it's, it's not just people going to classes. It's, there is it's kind of its own ecosystem now like we do Mm. our own clothing range every six months we have um, the podcast we have social events we've got at least five in-house competitions that we run per year at all the different locations like there's so much going on I have all of these amazing franchisees who own each of the locations and I I do own the Ballarat one along with Celeste Um, but yeah I I'm very proud that it's brand that I founded but not just founded it's grown because of the other people that are involved in it on every level mm-hmm. like there's you know uh, like 150 instructors and thousands of students every week like it's um, it's so much bigger than just me it has its own identity for sure and do you still like have to have meetings with all of the franchisees do you still have to have meetings with all of them or do they kind of just run the studio now oh no no yes and no so yes they they do run their studios incredibly um and they run them as as their own businesses like they do all of the timetabling and like they run the studios um but yes we have an entire head office team that work Mm -hmm. um there's like full-timers there's part-timers there's subcontractors so anything that the franchisees need they have uh an amazing head office team and Celeste heads that up she's head of operations um and we have an online uh platform where all of the information is that everyone can access and have different access levels depending on what they do within Fizzypol. So the head office team, you know, you've got operations, we've got someone full-time on graphics, we've got um, social media, um, syllabus management. I think we have like four or five different people who who work on the syllabus continually. So it's always developing. So mm-hmm. there's this head office team and then the franchise meetings we have um, fortnightly and then also monthly they have an individual meeting as well just to talk about anything with their actual locations that we need to talk about or help them with. So there's a huge amount of support as well as, you know, whenever they need to call. Um, but it's definitely it's definitely not like, oh, you signed up. Okay, good luck. We'll chat to you whenever. Like it's, there's ongoing. Yeah, yeah definitely. Are you, are you hoping to branch out even more or do you feel like no. That you're, no, <laughs> no, I don't, okay. I don't want to. Um, I mean, it, it is possible. I'll never say never, but mm-hmm. I'm 
really, really happy with the franchise community that we have now. They're all really incredible businesswomen and they inspire me. Like I know they began some of most of them with no business experience. And now they're just like these amazing businesswomen that have their own contributions and thoughts and everything. And that's the great thing about this franchise is that everyone's voice is heard Mm -hmm. and they can speak up in a meeting and say, Oh, I think this, and like maybe this way. And for me as the founder, it's not my job to sit at the top and make the decisions like and then we do this and then we do that like Mm -hmm. yes at the end of the day sometimes a decision has to be made and that will fall with me but I see it as I've got 12 minds to to work and collaborate together to move us forward and come up with new ideas why would I limit myself just to mine yes yeah yeah so silly so I like it how it is (laughs) that's honestly that's that's so amazing and what would you say is your favorite part about running a franchise and also what happens to be the biggest challenge of running a franchise? Um, probably my favorite part. Well, there's a lot of favorite parts, but on each level, you know, seeing, like I said, the franchisees just become these independent, strong and vibrant business women, not just not just that, but like what they can do with that. So, you know, they build up their business and then all of a sudden they have the time to decide, I'm going to go travel Australia for a year Mm. or I'm going to take a couple of years off to have a family and I have the income to do it Mm -hmm. and I still have a job when I want to go back and I can still pop in and be inspired and do a workout and feel good physically, but put other people in place too. And now this will obviously depend on each studio where it's at in its journey. Like when, when you start a new business, you're not going to be like, see you later, mate. (laughs) But but, you know, they all, um, they all grow. And over time you get that opportunity to do that. And that's Mm -hmm. incredible. So I love seeing that they can just go off and, and have their adventures because of because of this business that they are in and then on the student level like there are people's lives who I affect that have never even met me but Mm -hmm. because of what I started there's and yes there would be other studios but it's not fizzy pole and that's a special experience that they will have because of something that I started and it's very humbling Mm. very humbling I love that and biggest Mm. challenge uh yeah, definitely. Um, definitely when the franchisees are new, it's like the relationship, it's like a marriage, but it's also like a parent with a baby. So, mm. and this is probably similar with any business, but like you start a business and it's a baby, your business is a baby. It really needs you the first couple of years. You pretty much can't leave it. And then it grows up a bit more and it has its own, like it goes on its own tangents and that sort of thing. And then it might get to 10 years old and you can leave it at home for a couple of hours or so, you know what I mean? So it kind of, the business grows. And then it's the same thing with the franchisee journey. Um, and it is like a marriage relationship. So the the communication has to be really good because it would be naive to go into it and be like, Oh, it's going to be great the whole time. Like we're going to agree on everything for the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. It's just, it's not, that's not how it works in any relationship. So yeah. So 
I guess managing that and then also innovating constantly and keeping the brand moving forward without losing the brand identity. So there's a balance. I think you can't be stuck in the way of like, well, this is how we've always done it. So this is how we should always do it. Mm-hmm. it you have to be open to, and, the, and my franchisees know this, that I often say, whatever we have to evolve to be, if it's in 20 years, we don't even have pole dancing. Like I can't say that are happening, but yeah. if in 20 years it's not pole and we're doing something else, then that's it. Like we're just going to keep evolving the way that we need to evolve to exactly. make these businesses strong and a place that every type of person can come and feel good about themselves physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. Adaptability is key, especially, you know, with the, yeah. with the pandemic that happened in 2020, we all adapted, we went online, we figured out new ways to, you know, to, to find um, uh, customers or clients. So mm-hmm. uh, definitely uh, being able to adapt is, is key. Yeah. Um, and let's talk about how you also founded the Enviro mm-hmm. company, you have your own Enviro Grip, which we stock at one of the studios I work at. Um, and obviously we stock it at Pole Junkie as well. Uh, yeah. And of course, Pole Scription, which um, I was lucky enough to be featured as the April Pole Idol. Once again, thank you so much yeah, for that opportunity. Were. It was it was so <laughs> cool. It was so cool. I was like, wait, you want me to write my yeah. autograph? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah, all of that started, um, well, officially launched in, when was it? It was four weeks after COVID. So April, 2020. Wow. <laughs> so no, actually, no, sorry. Four weeks before COVID. So February, before. Yeah, okay. it was the February. Um, and the first thing that we launched was EnviroGrip. And obviously mm-hmm. that is something that we developed, I think it took us about nine months prior to go back and forward. We had a chemist, like a team of chemists, and we developed the formula and then we had it all produced um, uh, in Melbourne. And the tubes was something that I really wanted to combat because I hate the idea that we go through all this single-use plastic. And I know that it is difficult to push that um that ceiling because it's always been done that way. But I did find a manufacturer that would create the tube biodegradable, not the Mm. cap, unfortunately, but the tube biodegradable. So within six to 10 years, it will um, uh, decompose in landfill, not leaving any microplastics because people do ask that, um, as opposed to a plastic bottle, which takes 450 years. Wow. So it won't wow. break, a plastic bottle won't break down. And yes, you can recycle, but it's it doesn't get rid of the problem. So what we're doing now, and I've skipped ahead a little bit, but so that was my idea with the grip was just that um, I had all of these franchisees and myself who were having not great experiences with with some of the grip companies around, just like mm-hmm. the, 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 the customer service, mm-hmm. I didn't think was as good as it could be be so I wanted to to make that better and I also wanted to create a product that was a little more environmentally friendly and also um, that was readily available and didn't have stock problems so Mm -hmm. that's how it sort of came about and we launched it and 
I did not expect how big it got, how fast it got. So we've sold in like, I think it's 45 countries now. And we have hundreds of wholesalers, which are like studios and whatnot, which is incredible. And so now with the the tubes, because I constantly want to keep evolving the products and the brand and the business to be better and better. So instead of it just being biodegradable now, it's actually, um, to explain it in the simplest way, to create a biodegradable product, you create in the mixing process, like a plastic product that you put the biodegradable additive into, and then the, that additive eats the plastic. Does that make sense? Oh, okay. So, but you're still creating plastic from virgin materials. So what we're doing now is getting the plastic out of the environment, melting that down, adding the biodegradable additive, and then that will go away. So it's not just neutral, it's actually reverse. You're, re- you're reducing plastic. Yeah. Yeah. That is yeah. sick. That is crazy. Yeah. I wow. haven't talked about it too much yet because um, we're still finishing the first lot of tubes that are just biodegradable, but the next lot that we're about to start are the um, reverse. Yeah. Wow. Oh my goodness. That is like a game changer. You'll, you've never seen that in any other pole grip before. Oh no, definitely not in any other pole grip and not many other products because it is more expensive and and we're not the cheapest grip. And I know that some it's not often someone will say that, but occasionally someone will be like, Oh, you know, your grip is more expensive than the others. I'm like, yeah, I know, but so is the planet. It's like, <laughs> where do, you, do you know what I mean? Like you, you're going to pay a little bit more for a better product, like a better, something that's doing better. And I think people do understand that. Mm-hmm. And hopefully if they like our grip and they like what we stand for and everything, they will pay that extra dollar or two. Absolutely. It. So, yeah. So then that kind of branched into the clothing and, um, and I love that that aspect of it because I'm a creative person and I love business so Mm -hmm. when I combine those two and I had the idea for like smooth shorts which are our pole slash period shorts um I was like why don't these exist because I'm Mm -hmm. I looked up forums and everything and I I do a lot of research before I bring out a product and I was like there's nothing like this people are wearing period underwear on the pole Mm. and then they look like underwear yeah so why not have something that looks like pole shorts but they have the period technology in them so then yeah we went ahead and when I say we it's it's just me here but (laughs) I say like you know how you say we we appreciate your support (laughs) it's just me which is which is unbelievable that it's literally just you doing that so that is so 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 cool and um tell us also about how you came up with the idea for Polescription yeah so Polescription is our subscription box for pole dancers and I kind of knew for about 12 months maybe a bit more prior that I was like I should do a subscription box because I know that it's something that people will enjoy Mm -hmm. but I don't know if I want to add that work to myself because <laughs> my it is a lot of work each month to like you know the source of products and everything um but I did eventually sort of crack <laughs> and the idea wouldn't leave me alone as we oh, were talking about the damn so I like, tiger well, I know the damn tiger <laughs> so I thought well I'll just do it and 
if people like it, then they'll, you know, they'll get it. And if they don't, then fine, that's okay. Mm -hmm. So my concept was that I need to solve a problem. And that's always what, where the ideas come from. I don't create products just for the sake of it. I like to solve problems. So the problem is that, you know, for someone like myself who's been doing pole for nearly 15 years, you, your motivation comes in waves and, you know, you can be motivated by a new outfit or something. And you go to the studio and you're like, yeah, I'm so excited to train today. I've got something new to wear or whatever, but it does go. And sometimes people will get into a, like a pole rut and you're sort of like, I don't know, like, I'm just kind of not feeling it. Maybe I don't want to do it anymore. I just feel so much pressure to do all these tricks, like all these other people on Instagram and blah, 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 blah. blah. So the idea with it was not to just send people a box of products every month. The idea was to send them the motivation to be excited about their training each month. So then I started brainstorming like, okay, well, how I can have a theme for each box. Yes. But also wouldn't it be a great opportunity to use it as a vessel to promote people who I feel are just incredible in the industry that don't necessarily reach everybody. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and, and especially these days, like there's so many people on Instagram, it is very um, likely that you haven't even heard of some incredible people that you really would probably love to be following, but you're not. So Mm -hmm. I thought, what a great way for me to kind of um, tip my hat to people who are, yes, new, newer now and emerging, but also like the people who I've been inspired by as well across the 15 years. Mm, Such a good idea. Like, honestly, I feel like, like you said, you, you find a hole in the market, you find something that has not been tapped into or AKA a problem and you solve it. And I feel like that is what so many people say about like the reason why they, they started their own companies. For Mm. example, same thing with pole junkie. They had realized that in the UK, there really wasn't that one-stop shop. Mm-hmm. to find poleware in the UK. And at that time, a lot of the brands were from Australia, super far, and they mm-hmm. wanted just to make it more accessible for the pole community in the UK. And then boom, look where it, it's taken yeah. them now. What an incredible so, company. Exactly, exactly. So I love I love that that um, advice that you gave about, you know, just really trying to find that that problem to solve. What are the main steps, um, in your opinion, that you need to go through before a product is ready for the market? So like, like you said, for example, for the grip, you said that you had to find a team of chemists. Mm. <laughs> that is, first of all, that, that sounds so scary. <laughs> like, I don't know one chemist yes. in my life. So like, yeah. <laughs> tell us about a little bit about the steps that you go through uh, to, to from, from it being an idea into actually having it on a website ready to sell. Yeah. Um, so the first thing will always be that you find yourself complaining about the problem. That's how you know you can solve it because don't just try to come up with a product for the sake of coming up with a product. Hear yourself and other people going, man, wouldn't it be nice if, or they might say, oh, I just hate it when I can't, mm whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, this is so frustrating. I wish this would just do that. So when you hear those types of phrases in your everyday life and you hear them repeatedly, and the ones that I was hearing for EnviroGrip was like, gosh, I wish there was a company that 
was easy to get onto, easy to purchase the product and had good customer service when you had an issue and had stock readily available. Because as we know, when pole dancers start using a grip, you're using that grip because it works for you. If it goes out of stock, that's a problem because you're going to have to switch and train your body to use a whole other grip, which Mm -hmm. none of us like to do. We like to use the ones that work for us. So the stock, yeah, it was just all of those different problems were right in front of me. And I had 17 studios at like in front of me going, we've all got this problem. So I knew that if I solved it just for us, that would be enough. But by solving it for us, it might also solve it for some other people. So Mm. that's how you get the idea into a yes, you should be doing it idea. From there, Google's your best mate these days. So you can just start Googling and contacting. We just contacted factories, like so many factories. And at first, um, like the manufacturing game is very old school. Like they still use fax and like a fax machine. Oh, okay. (laughs) I thought you meant fax. And I was like, don't we want to use fax? (laughs) Yeah, no, a fax machine. Like that's, they're still using fax machines. So they, they, it's, it's well over here anyway, for what we were doing, it's mostly an older generation who have done things a certain way. And we're coming in going, Hey, we want to make this for pole dancing and they're looking at us like you're crazy also it was a huge investment for us because the minimum minimum order that they didn't even want to look at us even when we made this order was 10,000 units so we were the smallest fish in this pond and they didn't even like when we placed the order, I was like, oh my God, this is so much money. Like you imagine 10,000 of them and we're buying all, like, all at once. Yeah. Um, I was so nervous about it because it's so much stock. Mm-hmm. And so we went through the process with them and eventually, yeah, we found a team that we wanted to work with and we liked that they were in Australia. We did have the option to do it overseas, but I didn't want to. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we worked with them and also it meant that being our first product communication was easier because there's no language barrier or anything Mm -hmm. like that got a sample um it wasn't right went back got another sample this process goes over a long period of time and you're paying not just for the units themselves but you've got to pay for the development as well so you've got to know that what you're doing you're backing yourself 100 like you're all in or you're not so anyway we launched um and if you launch and you what's the saying and you're not embarrassed by your first product you'll launch too late uh, so and I was embarrassed by when the first one came out I was like oh my god like the tube had sealed slightly off center um oh the flame symbol on the back because all grips if they contain ethanol which 99% of them do okay. are meant to have um a flame symbol on the back uh-huh. and the chemist didn't tell me about it until after the tubes were printed. So I had to sticker manually 10,000 tubes with this flame symbol on the back. No. Oh my goodness. And, and <laughs> I'm so glad these aren't around anymore. 10,000 times. No, wait for it. Also, I didn't know at the time that the tube design got approved that biodegradable is not the same as compostable. They're not the same thing. Right? Okay. Yeah, I didn't know that. You tell. So, yeah, yeah. So it was printed on the back that it was compostable. And I was like, oh, shit. So here I am with a Sharpie 
on 10,000 and putting the proper sticker over it, you probably never noticed, but I had to Sharpie out the wrong bit and put the proper sticker over, basically just saying like, it's, it's biodegradable, um, not compostable. <laughs> so it had like four things that I, I was just like, oh my God, this is so embarrassing. But it took off so fast that we were out of the 10,000 within a couple of months. And we Crazy. were we were rushing. I was like, we're going to run out. This is one of the things that I said we weren't going to run out. So anyway, our next order was for like 20,000. And then the next week after I ordered the 20,000, I had to order 20,000 more because of how fast we were selling. And they take time. It's like a 12 or 12 week turnaround or something like that. So it was taking time to get the products to us. And I was like, we're going to run out. And we were getting to the end of the 10,000. And then we just clicked over to the 20. I was like, phew. But then the other 20,000 came in and I saw the rate that we were selling them. I was like, this, we're going to run out of these as well. So then we ordered 110,000. Thankfully we haven't run out of those because now instead of having it made in Melbourne, we actually make it all here ourselves in Ballarat. We have, wow. we, yeah, we invested in the mixing machine, which we called Sir Mix a lot. Um, <laughs> that <laughs> and is amazing. We also, we also bought the fill and seal machine as well. So we make it all completely from scratch ourselves, except for the tubes, obviously, which we, we have that made um, outsourced. But all of it is made in-house now. And my goal is within the next um, year or two years to have all the power that the machines are using to be run on solar so that the whole business is completely neutral. Wow, that's incredible. And when we're saying we right now, who is we right now? Oh, so my partner, Sam and I. Okay, so yeah, we're he... still talking about just you two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just us. Like he, wow. so he is, um, he's, the one that does um, the ordering of all of the individual ingredients, he um, makes, obviously we had the chemists at the beginning. So we, we own our formula mm -hmm. and we, which a lot of people wouldn't realize that just because you get chemists to make something doesn't mean you own your formula. You have to buy it. Buy the patent. So, is, is, is yes. That, yes. Yeah, you okay. have to buy your patent. So yeah, we own that. He makes all of it. He does the fill and the seal. And then as soon as it comes in, to the office it's all my domain so I do the packing um all of the like customer service the social media um everything inside of that wow yeah. I am so inspired right now so thank you so much for this have yeah. you ever struggled with moments of self-doubt imposter syndrome and if so how do you overcome those obstacles um Yes, there is always doubt, but it depends how big it is. So this is something I do a lot of mental work on every single day. So it'll either be the audio book or the podcast that I'm listening to is usually something that is um, for building mental strength. And now this is something I have to work extra hard at, especially when I'm doing and creating shows that are on a worldwide stage, like you you're not just got the poll community commenting on it you've got everybody judging you so to do the mental work and I did a bit of it back when I did Australia's Got Talent but doing that and experiencing that because you'd think oh you won what's the problem but you whoever wins is always going to have the supporters of the people who didn't win not happy that that person won right. so you either right. way 
because you can imagine if you come second or third or fourth, it's like, oh, you were so amazing. You should have won. That's always going to be the comment that that person gets. But naturally, you'll have the supporters of those people directing their frustration at the winner. So, and to be honest, like that is a 0.0 whatever percent of people that were making those types of comments. But when you kind of wear your heart on a sleeve and you're putting your emotions on the stage and you put your blood, sweat and tears into it, that affects you. So to learn how to mentally have the tools to deal with that is something that I take very seriously. Mm. And also, um, yeah, not just on the stage, but like in all areas of my life. So having that mental resilience doesn't just come from like, oh, you're just a strong person. That's not how it happens. Mm -hmm. It's work every single day, making sure that your mind is ready to, to not just combat any negative, but also be able to bring yourself up to a level where you're mentally saying to yourself, as you're about to walk out on stage, you've freaking got this because you trained and there's nothing more that you could have done in the lead up and this is why you have to work your butt off because you don't want to leave anything and be like oh I could have trained a bit harder no so it's yeah so I do have doubt but I think of it kind of like a little tiny little person standing down on the floor next to me some Mm. days it's like this big and some days it gets a bit bigger and then other days it goes back down but it's always so small that it doesn't affect what I have my mind set on because I don't Mm. fear failure. So Mm. doubt doesn't really bother me because I don't really care if people like what I do. I don't really care if they don't like the shows that I create. Like it's lovely if they do and if they're touched by them and inspired, but I'm not making them for other people. I'm making them because the ideas won't leave me alone unless I do. And I want to capture that moment in time that is there forever that I can enjoy watching if I ever want to again Mm -hmm. so the doubt like I get it because and I mean yes I guess I think about that imposter syndrome a bit with with my performances because I'm not the most flexible pole dancer by far I'm not the strongest I'm I'm not the trickiest I don't really have anything well, I mean, I guess a little bit, but it mostly it just comes from the consistency at which I work on stuff mm-hmm. and the mindset of chipping away at something, just taking it. I only need to take a chip out of it. I don't need to attack an entire problem. I just chip away at it until it's solved. Mm-hmm. Okay. So knowing that I have that work ethic means that I won't fail if I don't want to, because there's no other option in my mind yeah absolutely um yeah so for for me some days just like you said I'm the person that I want to be I'm that pole dancer that like I feel like I I'm killing it you know but then after Mm -hmm. I do also have those days where I'm just like (sighs) like the motivation is not there I don't want to train so like um I also work on mental fitness I feel like mental fitness is something that we need to take care of just as much as our Mm. physical fitness. So um, I I love that you talk about listening to podcasts. I do the same. I have also a a manifestation app. It's called I am. And I put like a a widget 
uh, which is, you know, when you have like the, the, those big buttons on your home screen. And every time, if I need to feel more centered, I'll just go on my app and I'll just read five um, uh, affirmations. Like I can make mistakes and still reach my goals. That's just what it says yes. right now. But it, and it's, yeah. they're unlimited. And I feel like as though it's so, even though some people may be like, oh, it's corny, but you need to find what works for you when it comes to your your mindset and your mental health, because we can we can be the most talented or most success, successful. I'm not like saying I am, I'm just saying someone can have it all and, but they still have days where they have demons. So having those tools to help you move forward and stay motivated and yes. accountable is so important. So just to finish off, do you have any other tools that work for you? Do you mind actually mentioning that podcast that you, uh, that you say you listen to or that audiobook? Oh, and then do you have any others? Yeah, there are so many, um, I listen to <laughs> I can give you some references um if you haven't listened to the book can't hurt me you need to listen to that like yesterday it's by David <laughs> Goggins um <gasps> yeah okay yeah yeah so it, anyway I'll leave that there like you can go into more detail I could talk about him all day but he does have one concept that I really um that I really uh, take with me and it's this cookie jar concept of like every achievement that you have, even a small one, like making your bed, right? Every achievement goes in this cookie jar as if it's a cookie. Now, it might only be a tiny little cookie or it might be a big cookie, like winning Australia's Got Talent, right? But when you come up against a struggle, you go into the cookie jar in your mind and you pull out a cookie and you go, well, shit, I did that. So I can do this. Like you have all of this mental, you have proof. It's like proof of work. Like it's, you can prove to yourself that you do have the grit and the, um, and what you need to do what's in front of you now. So yes, with America's Got Talent, it's big and scary and it's a huge stage, but I can go into that cookie jar and go, I've created shows before. I know I can do this. And just kind of using that concept is really, really good because, mm -hmm. and he talks about it in a lot more detail. So that's a great one. Mm -hmm. um, understanding that not, and I don't feel like training most of the time, but you go anyway, you have to go anyway. And I was actually talking about this today, live in the Polescription Tribe um, face, Facebook group that when I was at the studio, I said to them, set the bar so low for your training that it's like impossible not to fail because all I need to do every day that I go in and train right now is be further along than I was yesterday. Mm -hmm. That's all. And it doesn't even matter how far further along, as long as I'm further along than I was yesterday, that's enough. Because if you set the bar too high, you get in your head about it and you're like, oh, I didn't achieve what I was set out to do and I'm no good and I, sh I, I just need a few days off or whatever. And yes, you have days off in terms of recovery, but if you psych yourself out mentally and you do that to yourself, you're setting yourself back even further, not just physically, but in your mental progression, especially when you're trying to be creative, set the bar low, just set it so low. Mm -hmm. So at the moment in my creation phase I don't really have a plan when I go into train I just kind of like I will later once I set 
have the routine set. I'll be mm. like, today I'm practicing this or that. Da, 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 da. But right now it's just whatever comes to me. If I feel like working on this bit, if I feel like just being creative there, or maybe I won't be super physical today, or maybe I'll just dance a bit, like just set the bar so low that it's impossible to fail because mm. that little cookie will get you through to the next one. And if you don't feel like going, just know that that's all of us, man. I never feel like, like some days I feel like going, but most of the time you don't, you don't enjoy, you know, training like that, but you enjoy the result of it. And yes, there's, there's joy in the process of the pain because you better yourself and you push and you grow. But Mm -hmm. what I'm saying is it's not always roses and rainbows and unicorns for sure for sure and sometimes it's also good to think that when you're warm it's such a different mindset as to when you're not warm so in the Mm -hmm. sense that like me right now looking at my pole I'm like oh but then if I do a full only what give me 15 minutes of warming up to high high intensity music I'll be running towards that pole you know so I always have to remind myself just wait till you're warm wait till you're warm and everything changes it's like you walk into a new world yeah. That's, yeah. That's so true. Mm-hmm. Just do a good warm up and change up your warm ups. Like if you don't really feel like doing something high intensity, do something yoga or flow or like, there's that much stuff on YouTube. You can like explore and play Absolutely. and make it fun. For because sure. Sometimes we take it too seriously, you know? We- Absolutely. And do you have any other things that you are looking forward to before the end of the year? Any events that you can talk about? Uh, Is there any (laughs) goals or projects that you're working on that you'd like to share or should we keep that under wraps? Um, I, yes, but so I hope, (laughs) I, I hope that this will be um, the biggest year for me ever. Wow. And that, yeah. So I obviously won't go into like the specific projects or anything like that, but I, it's crazy to sort of say, I feel like I've been holding myself back, but I feel like I have been over the years just kind of doing less or, or maybe, maybe, I don't know. That's why I haven't really put it out there about America's Got Talent, but I don't, I don't really shout about things. Probably I should, but I just do them. And if people like know about it, that's great. And I love the support and I'm grateful, very grateful mm-hmm. for that. But um, I want to, I want to push myself harder than I ever have and achieve things that I surprise myself with. Mm-hmm. That's what I, yeah, I, creatively and in business like I just love everything that I'm doing I'm really grateful for my life I'm grateful for my kids and the balance and and of course it's all out of balance sometimes but the the work that I do I love it genuinely and I get to be creative you know with these shows and create things that aren't in existence yet Mm so I don't know I just I love what I'm doing I need to do I need to just keep pushing down this road, I think, because the growth, I enjoy that process as much as you hate it when you're in it. (laughs) I do enjoy growth and I want to do that in the performing and in the business and, you know, with my family and everything. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're saying that the best is yet to come. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. The best is definitely yet to come. I love that. Love that so much. Well, thank you so much for taking the time for being a guest on, on the Queens of Hustle. Where can we find you for anyone that wants to support your work or see more of your amazing, amazing performances? Um, yeah, well, thank you for having me firstly. Uh, so if you go to christysellers.com, I'm pretty sure that's it. I, it's basically just a link tree to all the different platforms. So it depends what platform you're on, I guess, uh, is going to be um, whichever is easiest to follow me on. But I'm on Instagram and TikTok, face, Facebook, uh, so sort of. <laughs> um, yeah, it's christysellers.com, which just goes to my link tree. So that's got everything there. It's got a link to my YouTube channel and the FizzyPole website and all the websites. So amazing. Yeah, I so I'll appreciate the support. No problem. And I'll definitely add that link in the show notes. But yeah, uh, I'll again, give you a heap of um, I'll give you a heap of podcasts and audiobooks to put. There's too many to like rattle off here, but for mental, mental um, uh, learnings and toughness and tools, we'll put a list together. Amazing. Thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your day or I should say evening because it is the uh, the (laughs) evening for you and we'll chat again soon. Thank you so much. See ya. Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Queens of Hustle podcast. As this is a passion project that I'm doing all by myself in my free time, it would mean the world to me if you would leave a review on the Apple podcast app or on Spotify. Feel free to share this episode on your social media or send it to someone you know who'd benefit from listening to this. Have an amazing day or night wherever you're listening. We'll see you next time.